I'm continuing with a series called Take a Stand Today. And today we'll be talking about some, uh, some of the ways that we stand in this moment in history. Let me begin by reading what I posted yesterday on social media. You're coming out of this intense, fiery trial with not even the smell of smoke on you. Even though the enemy has been stoking the fire until it's seven times hotter than normal, the flames have no power over you. The devil thought he could burn your house down with a perfect storm of problems, pain, and pressure. But all he's really done is give God the opportunity to give you another great testimony, including supernatural promotion. All of those things are true, and we'll be reading them from the Bible today about someone's life that experienced that and about how that translates into our life. I want to begin with the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, right after the Sermon on the Mount, this is kind of the conclusion, summation of these wonderful things from chapter 5 and 6. He says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, in Matthew 7 verse 24, and does them, hears them and does them, I will liken that person to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, it sounds like a monsoon storm. And they beat on that house, but the house did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine, but does not do them, will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same storm came, the winds descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So Jesus said, the way that you survive the normal storms of life is to uh, order your steps to believe and practice the words that I give you. So for us as believers, that means the Bible. So the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible says about itself, all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be perfectly trained, equipped for everything God has for them in this life. God's Word is inspired by God. God breathed. It is inerrant, without error. It is infallible, cannot fail. So we believe that our lives are governed by the Word of God. So as believers, we come into a kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we have a king. And the rule of his kingdom is represented by his Word. So as believers, God's Word reveals his will to our lives. And we are as submitted to the Lordship of Christ to the degree that we recognize the authority of the Scriptures in our life. So we're in a generation that's questioning the Bible. Even believers, they believe some of the Bible and some not of the Bible. And, and people are kind of choosing like a buffet what they want to believe and what they don't want to believe. But you, you don't want to live like that. You want to build your house on the rock. God has something to say. This is God's instruction manual for the human race. And he has something to say about every realm of life. Now, listen to me. The person that wrote this book, the God that wrote this book loves you. He doesn't have a long white beard. He's not sitting in an old rickety throne. He's not an old grouchy man. He's a loving, powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. And he penned a love letter. He penned words of instruction to his children. Here's how you do life. Here's the best quality of life you can have. My kingdom, my word, 
the revelation of my will to you through my word. So Jesus said, if you build your life on this, you'll last. You will last the storms of life. Romans chapter 12 says it like this. I beseech you, brothers, brethren, by the mercies of God. What a great way to introduce this to the dialogue of surrender. That you present or yield your bodies to God a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of service. So he's talking about in different kinds of worship, including in Judaism, in the Old Testament, there would be animal sacrifice, different kinds of sacrifice. And Paul said this, the sacrifice God wants now is your body. He wants to live in your body. He wants your body to be under the control of heaven. And the way that God controls gains ascendancy into a controlling place in our body is in verse 2 of Romans 12. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphio, a change of nature, by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove, test, know, and experience what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So I experience the will of God to the degree that I renew my mind with God's word. When I renew my mind, I experience God's will. I will experience the kingdom, the quality, blessings, and joys of the kingdom of God to the degree that I renew my mind with God's word. I will experience the destiny I was born for to the degree that I renew my mind with God's word. So all of us are on this renewal journey to keep letting God's word change the way we think. Because when you change the way you think, you change the way you live. So God's, God's, that's God's promise. That's God's invitation to discipleship, to the Lordship of Christ. So the Lordship of Christ is seen in our lives if we honor his word as the supreme authority in our life. What does God's word say about it? See, see most of my decisions I don't have to pray about because my beliefs make my decisions for me. You with me? So something happens and, 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 and if, if the Bible says that's sin, that I don't have to pray about doing it. Lord, if you want me to do that, you know, hey, I've already kind of made note my will. You're not supposed to do that. So most, for the believer, most of our decisions are made by our core belief. And God wants our core beliefs to be filled with the principles, the truth, the life of his word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and powerful. Zoe and dunamis is filled with God's power and life and is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing the center of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, see your heart is, your heart is, filled with tremendous deceptive capacity. I'm just following my heart. Stop it. Follow God's word. Now, because here's the difference. My heart will introduce me to a feeling. That feeling may be at direct odds with God's word. So what do I do? I resist the urge to act on a feeling that is opposed to the will of God made known by his word. We're doing okay. So we want to be people in this moment that honor God's word. And I just want to tell people, you know, God, the best way to live life is God's way. 
Oh, you Christians can't have any fun. Are you kidding? We're having way more fun than you. Way more fun than you. They act like they're having fun, but as soon as they, as soon as the, the alcohol, the drugs wear off, or the, da, 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 they ain't having fun. There's no lasting joy without Jesus in this world. And for the believer, when I act, when I built my life in God's word, the storms still come, but they don't tear down my house. They don't tear down my life, my marriage, but what, my, whatever it is, whatever I'm building through my life. So that's kind of the way I want to introduce this. And I'm going to talk about a story from Daniel. The book of Daniel is a, it's called a minor prophet, but it's a very significant Old Testament book. It has the most prophetic end time detail of any Old Testament book. All kinds of amazing things. But in the book of Daniel, there's also some really powerful stories. I'm going to talk about one in chapter 3. For time's sake, let me just set the, set the uh, uh, narrative and then talk about the verses beginning with verse um, 10. So Nebuchadnezzar is king of an a empire called Babylon. And at that time, he governed the known world. He's governing everything. So it's the greatest empire in human history. Just he, th this guy has it all. And at the height of his glory... He decides, he has this idea, I'm going to make a golden statue of myself. See, see, there is always a problem when people's greatest passion is for self-honor. Okay. I.E. Instagram. Yeah, whatever. So he, his idea, I'm going to build a hundred foot statue of myself out of solid gold. That, right, that got my attention. Whoa. How wealthy must you be to build a golden statue 100 feet, 10 stories tall? And then his idea was, we will have music. Every, the whole orchestra of musicians and, and instruments at that time, and when they played, Everyone that hears the sound of the music has to bow to the image and worship me. So, there it is. It sounds just like Lucifer who was kicked out of heaven because he lusted after God's worship. He wanted this worship that he was giving God turned back to him. And he stole one-third of the angels of heaven and he fell because of the pride of his heart. But verse 10, and so what happened was there's some godly slaves that were brought from Israel to Babylon, Daniel, but now his three friends, and the three friends won't bow. They, they, they won't bow. They won't bow to the current God of culture. We demand that you recognize this. Well, I, I'm sorry you worship something stupid, but I'm not going to worship that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to honor that as a God. So they get tattled on by people that were jealous of their prominence in verse 10. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the harp, flute, 
horn, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music will fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you, nor have they, nor do they serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the commandment to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought the man before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said to the man, and, you know, this would not be a positive meeting. This would be a not a positive HR meeting at your company. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, symphony, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you from my hands. Mm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, now listen to me, they were good employees. They were so honorable and so gifted, they were promoted in high realms of leadership. They served an imperfect system in a godly, honorable way. Come on, stay with me. Eventually, the system turned on them. And so they said back to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to pray about the answer. Here's our answer. If it is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But even if that doesn't happen, let it be known to you, king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image you've set up. That Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression out of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that the heat of the furnace be turned up seven times more than usual. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace hot, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The guys that threw them in the furnace died. It was so hot. Then these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of this burning. I have a couple of thoughts. Can you imagine being so powerful? You just have a, a, a running furnace. It's just all the time running. People talk to the king, they look over the furnace. What's the furnace for? People I don't like. He's in a bad mood. Furnace for you. He's so upset, he eats it seven times more than normal. It's so 
fierce, it kills the men that even get close to it. He throws in the three Hebrew men into the burning, fiery furnace. Then the king, verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound to the fire? They answered, true king. Look, he said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth man is like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar went to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, the administrators, the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Come on, don't make me jump out there and preach this right in front of you. The hair of their head was not singed. I have a funny story about that, but the person's here, so I can't tell it. Hi, Roger. Nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. By the end of this chapter of your life, you're going to come out with something so intense, but there'll be no trace of it on you. You won't smell like what you've been through. Mm. Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. This guy is amazing. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there's no other god who can deliver like this. <laughs> so, this is, that's not the best way to evangelize people. But in one day, a whole nation's one. A whole nation changes theology. A whole nation changes their worship. Because three guys would not compromise. Three guys would not compromise. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, by the way, if you don't worship their God, I'm going to kill you. God does, he did a lot of killing. But at least he wasn't going to burn him. He was just going to cut him up this time. Pieces. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What was the end game? What was the end result? Promotion. Increase. What the devil meant for evil, God turned for good. That's the end of the story. couple of thoughts were at an amazing point in history. A lot of things happening. Um, I was singing all day to my nine-year-old grandson who was in town this week with his parents and sister. Uh, 
nine, nine months old, a Romeo Blue Maiden. So yesterday I taught him a song. He was trying to sing, but he doesn't know words yet. And uh, the song comes from this verse, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And the Holy Spirit said through Paul, do you not know, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. What a price he paid for us. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So I sang to Romeo, know you not, know you not, you are the temple. No, you not, no, you not, you are the temple. No, you not, no, you not, you are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory. Filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory. Sing Romeo. Filled with praise, filled with power, filled with glory. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, that comes from that verse. And so, in the Old Testament, God lived in a box. In the New Covenant, God lives in you. He lives in you. And so this, it's always been spiritual entities need a human vessel to have authority in the earth, to have representation. God's spirit wants to dwell in you, so do all kinds of other spirits, ideas, and oppressive deceptions. And God says, you're mine. I'm going to dwell in you. Now, Paul's specifically talking in this chapter and in the next chapter about sexual activity. And so the reason why I want to hit that is because this generation is asserting a, a powerful intimidation that says, if you don't accept what we say about sex, we're going to throw you to a fiery furnace of, of cancel culture or some other kind of thing. So. So I want to handle this right in, from a perspective of Christ-likeness and kingdom uh, uh, insight. But make no mistake about it, the devil's trying to change God's order for mankind. The Bible says in the beginning God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, have dominion, subdue the, 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 the cows, the, 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 the everything, the fish, everything. Subdue it. And so God created man in his image. It separates us from, you know, coyotes and, and elephants and, and rhinoceroses and, uh, and, and monkeys. We're different because we're in the image of God. And so when I was born, I was born in God's image. God chose, he chose everything for me. Born according to the DNA structure of my family, but God had already designed something about me. He chose my height, my, my eye color. He chose everything about me. He didn't choose his pr present weight. I'm gonna go back to his uh, current weight. And he chose my gender for me. He chose my sex. God chose your gender. He wasn't confused when he did. That's, that's for all of us. Now, so people, I, I want to read a scripture to you that, that I want to close with a, some good stuff. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the very next chapter, Paul then talks about, okay, it, it, 
God's not opposed to sex. God made us sexual beings. Amen? Three brave people. Amen, I guess. And here's what chapter 7 says. I'll read it in the message transition. Now, getting down to the question you asked in the letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly. Hallelujah. So God, so Paul says, sex isn't a bad thing. It's a God-created thing, certainly. But the God who made you a sexual person also gives you boundaries and, and definition for the expression of that desire in you. Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife. I, I just, I, I feel like I need to travel the country and just promote marriage. It's a good thing. What you all afraid of? I, I've been madly in love with the same person 44 years. It's a good thing for a man to have a wife. It's a good thing for a woman to have a husband. Ah, marriage is a good thing. Adam's created. He names all the animals. And the Bible says he feels lonely. And God puts him to sleep, takes out a rib, and builds a woman. Adam wakes up and goes, wow, man. And Adam, when he saw her prophesied, a man will leave his father and mother and join into his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Jesus verbatim repeated that declaration. Paul repeated it verbatim. So when God made mankind, marriage was the entity, the, the, the unit for family. And so sex is a good thing, but only within marriage. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. So sexual disorder is not a new thing. Okay? Whenever the gospel withdraws this influence from culture, the culture begins to abuse the Bible definition and Bible expression of godly sexual behavior. <clears throat> so a lot, a lot's going on. Now, please listen to me. God loves everybody. God loves adulterers and fornicators. God loves people that cheat. God loves people addicted to pornography. God loves people bound by homosexuality. God loves people confused and transgenderism. God, God loves all those people, and we have to love them too. But, but never think the only way you can love someone is to sanction their behavior when it's against Scripture. It is a vicious lie in the culture that says the only way you can love someone is to approve and affirm of their behavior. When their behavior is at discord with Scripture, love them and stand on your and stand on the script. I love you. If you ask me about it, I'll tell you what the issue is. The Bible says that's a sin. But I, I, you don't know. I, I, my heart feels good. I know your heart does because it's deceptively wicked. The Bible says that. What does that mean? It's capable of incredible excuses for sinful behavior. Yes, not my fault. 
So, so the Bible says, sex is a good thing in marriage. Now, in the previous chapter, it said, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't live in the full promise of kingdom life if you're bound, if you're a thief, if you're dishonest, if you're an adulterer, if you're living in fornication or homosexuality, those things, for they, they, they stop you from living the full life God has for you. And then he says, some of you were those things. Now, here's my point. Another horrible lie is that people can't change. There are people in this room that used to be alcoholics, and now they're spirit-holics, okay? They're holding, there are people in this room, come on, stay with me. There are amazing men of God in this room that used to be players. Now they're godly, faithful, and loyal. There are women in this room that maybe have an immoral history for, for whatever reason. When they came to Christ, God made their hearts as pure as fallen snow, innocence restored. <clears throat> when we come to Christ, He changes us. And we have to tell people, we love you, come to Christ. If you keep hanging around Him, He will change you like He changed me. He will change you. Okay? But now, they did not, the three Hebrew men did not have picket signs against all the Bowers. You Bowers are horrible people. Bowers burning hell. Bowers burning hell. They, they didn't criticize, condemn. They didn't accuse. They just stood on their principle. That's it. You have to make sure you stand on God's Word, but don't belittle people that don't. Just show people the benefits of following Jesus. The kingdom of God is the best way of doing life. And God wants to show it in our, in, through our stories. Come on. So, so many lies. People acting like the, you, you know who's having the most sex in America? Married couples. Guilt-free sex. Shame-free sex. Come on. People are afraid to, is this, can I answer this? Is, is, is this a trick question? Satisfying sex. God honors marital sex. That's pretty awesome to me. I, I told my wife, uh, she, I've come to worship at her temple. And, but she's not afraid to tell me it's closed for maintenance. She said, back off, closed today. Now, I, there are so many parts that we could talk about presently in the culture. Now, here's my point. We stand, young people, you want to mess up your marriage, sleep around now. We, we, we know this psychologically. The more people you sleep with now, the quicker you'll divorce your spouse. There's a bunch of reasons for that. 
No, God can forgive you. He will help you. But, but the hook up culture is a horrible lifestyle. Man, I, I, can, I can barely get my mind around it. It used to be, even if you want to sleep with someone, you at least take them to dinner. Now you just hook them up. I'll be there in 10 minutes. No real love. No real commitment. Just sex. Well, there's nothing more shallow than that. The other part of the equation is this. Pornography has crippled a generation of young men and told them they don't need women for sexual fulfillment. And we have a pornography-addicted generation of men. But you can be free. Come on. Porn free. As free as Jesus wants me. I can. Oh, I. So. <laughs> this sermon's falling apart right in front of me. Some things are worth living for and dying for. They were willing to die for the right cause, worshiping God. When they entered the fiery furnace, my friend, someone came. Most of the time, almost all the time, angels or Christophanies, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. Almost all the time, those are secret events, unheralded events, unseen by others. Jesus shows up and lets everyone see him. He's not ashamed to stand with you in the midst of the fire. In fact, the Bible says this, our God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of trouble. When the storms blow and the fire burns, Jesus does not leave. He comes closer. In your most intense day, your most difficult hour, he's with you, my dear brother and sister. You're not alone. I'm sorry what's happening in the family or the business or the things, the injustice or pain you're going through. I just know who's with you. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No matter where you go, I go. No matter what happens to you, I'll be right there with you along that journey. You're going to make it through this because he's with you. So just know this, that, that there's in your story, it's going to end with a testimony and a promotion. They got promoted. It's going to be funny. People ask you, oh, tell me how you got promoted. You don't want to know. <laughs> there was a fire. <laughs> Crazy boss. But look how it ended. Look how it ends. God's going to give you a spectacular testimony. As, as a person that's lived through this, just don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lose your worship. Don't lose your faith and never stop standing on God's word. But yeah, but people, people have all kinds of ideas about all kinds of things, but the things the Bible speak that gives us clarity about is God lovingly trying to protect us from ourselves. And when we honor his word 
and obey it. Man, the reward is amazing. Thank you for listening to me today. Please. Prayer team, if you'd come forward and join me down front. I preached four sermons. One of them is bound to help you. Take your, take your pick. As we close today's service, we always, the most important thing that will happen is people turning to Jesus today. And it is such a great honor that every week our altar is filled with people coming or returning to Christ. It's just a great thing. But today, my first appeal is, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, we lovingly, compassionately, and sincerely invite you to know Him. We are not a bunch of perfect people looking down on you. We're a bunch of sinners saved by grace. That's what he does. He forgives us and changes us. That's what, that's what the kingdom of God, that's what the church is. Oh, I don't like the church that's filled with hypocrites. Of course, where else are hypocrites going to get helped? <laughs> if you've never known Jesus, man, us that have found saving faith and grace in him, we want to testify, man, it's the best decision you'll ever make. And we'd be so honored to pray with you. If you've been away from God, and when, when it was the, in a vernacular in, in church culture when I was a boy, we call them backsliders. It's just someone that's beat up by life or the devil, and you're ready to come home and restore your walk with God. Man, we are here with you to pray and stand with you. If you're believing for a physical healing or a mental healing, emotional healing, we believe that He is our healer. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals us. If you're going through just maybe a tough, a tough season, you say, Pastor, man, it's really been intense. I'm, I'm proud of you for making it to church. We'd be honored to pray for you. If you need prayer for those reasons or any other reason, if you'd please come forward. Church, just for 60 seconds longer, would you worship God while those seeking prayer make their way forward? Love you. We're honored and humbled to serve here at church for the nations. 
please stay here as long as you'd like to. We're going to keep praying and worshiping God until everyone that wants ministry receives it. If you're leaving, have a wonderful rest of your day. Don't forget, it's not too late to sign up for SOM starts tomorrow. We have the most students we've ever had. It's just going to be a great semester. Have a wonderful week. You're an amazing church. Don't forget next week, my dear friend, Pastor Mark, will be here. He pastors over 100,000 people. It's going to be an amazing Sunday, Church of the Nations. Tell someone Jesus loves them like crazy. God bless you. You're an amazing church. Have an amazing week.